0: Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Roland was a warrior from the land of the midnight sun with a Thompson gun for hire, fighting to be done. The deal was made in Denmark. Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 540, to be exact, on February 28th, 2021. This week I am going to talk about reliability and why I think it's the most important thing and why some handguns are reliable, why some are not, and what happens when they're not. I think reliability is the absolute most important thing in any concealed carry gun it's the most important aspect of what you need to make sure that you have and that is extreme absolute reliability and so it's I, i'm going to have fun with this topic and it's based on some experiences that I've had recently let me remind you this show is sponsored by concealment solutions makers of the best holsters in the USA in my opinion and check them out if you need a concealed carry appendix holster, if you need a strong side uh, inside the waistband, outside the waistband, appendix carry inside the waistband, whatever you need, go to concealmentsolutions.com. No matter what gun you have, check them out. You get a 10 percent discount uh, because you are a handgun world listener, and you just use the simple coupon code, handgunworld at checkout. Okay. So remember, when I talk about this stuff, uh, I'm I'm coming to you from an everyday guy's point of view because that's who I am. I'm an everyday guy. I am not ex-law enforcement or ex-military. I'm not even a fancy uh, gunsmith. I don't make custom guns or write for big time gun uh, websites and things like that. I'm just an everyday dude and I take my Second Amendment rights very seriously. So recently, uh, as recently as yesterday, I was at a uh, com- I was shooting in a competition match. We had gorgeous weather here in South Texas. Finally, finally, um, the the winter blizzard that hit Texas is finally behind us. Hopefully, never to return ever again. It would be nice. i be- I've become a real softy to winter weather. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm a, I'm a former cheesehead and that's my home state it's always going to be considered my home state but i've actually lived in texas longer than i lived in wisconsin and so i'm just not used to cold and snow and ice anymore and uh, as i mentioned for uh, last week in the episode it just um it causes disaster here in south texas and especially down here in south and central texas austin and san antonio area uh, and i'm I'm in San antonio so we we're, we're just we're just not ready for that but anyway, um I got a little off track there so I want to discuss reliability. I was competing uh a competition match, and the weather was fantastic but i but I saw some issues I saw some issues, especially I' saw malfunctions with people that have highly modified handguns, and so I'm gonna talk about that. you guys know I am a big fan of modifying your handgun. I've done episodes all about handgun modifications. You'll find those in some of my older episodes. If you just search on my website, handgunworld.com just search handgun modifications, you'll find some of the episodes where I talked about that. And I'm going to talk about a couple of guns that I've done some nice modifications to. But i got to say, when I see people have malfunctions, in a training class that I've taught or in a competition match that I've been a shooter in. When I see it, it's, it's 90% of the time related to a gun that has been modified in such a way as to render it unreliable. And there are many things that can affect this. Even ammo can affect it. I mean, ammo is a big culprit. With semi-automatic handguns, magazines are a big culprit. Recoil springs and recoil spring guide rod assemblies can be a big culprit that contribute to, ma- to, to malfunctions. Uh, I'm going to say most handgun makers out there make a real good fine handgun. Doesn't matter, Glock, Smith and Wesson, Ruger, Sig, um, take your pick, whatever. You know the good 1911 manufacturers. And, of course, excellent revolver manufacturers, Smith and & Wesson and Ruger and many others that make fine revolvers You know, and, and semi-automatics like Walther and H&K, they're all just fine handguns. And, for the most part, manufacturers want to make a reliable gun. I mean, think about that. They want to make reliable handguns because it's their reputation that's on the line. Make sense? You know, they don't want to be known, if possible, they don't want to be known as the maker of unreliable firearms. Now, for some manufacturers, it's turned out that way. They were the maker of <laughs> of unreliable firearms, but there's not very many of them. And they're all very good. And even the custom manufacturers out there that make custom guns, you know, they do great work. So, when you buy a semi-automatic handgun, you take it out of the box, it's it's most likely, it's going to be reliable. Okay? And, of course, the best test is taking it out and shooting it. That's the best test. It's hard, I know, these days because of ammo, high ammo costs, very low, ridiculously low ammo availability. It's difficult. It's difficult to go out and give handguns thousand-round trigger jobs. That's what I've advocated for years, if you've been listening to me long enough. I, and I still advocate the thousand-round Trigger job. The problem is it's going to cost you a lot of money to do a thousand round trigger job right now unless you have stockpiles of ammunition or you have stockpiles of reloading supplies and you've been reloading and you have a lot of those and it hasn't cost you much to reload. But even now it's, it's costing a lot these days to, to reload. So, maybe at least a 500-round trigger job. How's that? A 500-round trigger job. That means what I'm talking about is shoot your gun. And and find out if it's reliable. Shoot it before you make any modifications to it. But a lot of people think they can buy skill. Ben and I talked about this in an interview that we did uh maybe it's about a year and a half ago that I did with Ben Branham we talked about can you buy skill and the overall conclusion we came to is no you cannot buy skill a lot of people want to purchase skill and that only goes so far I believe that you can make a gun shoot better for you by purchasing some modifications and doing some but mostly what is going to help you become a good shooter is practice and training. Practice and training. There's just no way around it. People spend a lot of money on triggers. Let me tell you I like to keep my triggers as much as possible stock or using stock parts. So whatever the manufacturer makes is what I like to leave in the gun. I have, I, I own Glocks and I like to use whenever possible Glock trigger connectors. Now if there's a brand out there that's proven its reliability, for example Apex, I wouldn't have any problem putting an Apex trigger in a handgun as long as Apex makes you know, a nice trigger for that gun because they've proven themselves. The problem is people start to mess around with putting in different recoil springs, different guide rods, and things like that and then the ammunition might not be the proper ammunition for the spring weight that you have in the gun or they mess around with firing pin springs or they change out trigger springs or main springs and all that other kind of stuff to try to maximize their speed and their accuracy and like I said it only goes so far. If you do that too much, trust me, your handgun is going to become unreliable. And that's the worst thing because I mean, first of all, let's talk about competition matches. You could be doing great in a competition match. You could shoot two or three stages and you'd be on fire. And, and your, your scores and your times are fantastic. And on the fourth stage, you've got a, a nasty malfunction. There goes the match for you. That, that can happen easily because it's gone. If you had any chance of placing well because you had that nasty malfunction that took you, took you three or four seconds to clear... Yeah, you're toast. Now, you shouldn't have had that malfunction that takes you three or four seconds to clear. First of all, um, if it's that kind of, an ama- of a malfunction, later on, you need to address the issue and figure out why are you having that kind of a malfunction? Is it a problem with the gun? Is it the ammo? Is it the shooter? Or is it a combination of all three? But that those are killers, those malfunctions. And so, I've seen people destroy themselves um basically in a competition match and i've done it personal experience a few weeks back i had a malfunctioning gun it turned out it was the ammo it turned out it was problems with the ammunition that i was using the reloaded ammunition that i was using so and it just it absolutely just destroyed my mental state for that match and it was no fun After the third stage, it just simply was no fun. And competing is supposed to be fun. But it's not fun when your gun malfunctions. You know, if you shoot poorly, it it may not be fun, but you you can say, Okay, well, you know what? The gun's running just fine. The gun is accurate enough. The problem is me, and I can work on that. I can become a better shooter just by practicing and things like that. But when it's the gun's fault or the ammo's fault, I just don't tolerate that. I, I don't. I will not keep guns that do not have extremely close to 100% reliability. So for example, I own a nicely modified Glock. I own a nicely modified Glock 19. Most of the modifications I did to this third generation Glock 19, most of them, are external. They're on the frame. They're mag buttons, slide releases. That's, That's mostly what I've done. I've done very little internal modifications to this handgun. Uh, I put a a Glock 3.5 pound trigger connector in it. A Glock 3.5 pound trigger connector because it's my competition gun. And I know that there's going to be ultra reliability putting in a Glock 3.5 pound trigger connector with all other factory Glock parts. And, of course, I've replaced the sights. Uh, It's an iron-sided pistol. This particular Glock 19 I'm talking about and it's got Trigicon HD Sights. Now let me talk about sights. See, this is all part of your reliability. I uh, saw a shooter with a, uh, with a red dot on his gun yesterday. I'm not going to mention the name of the red dot because I really don't, don't want to trash a manufacturer because it's a good manufacturer and they make good stuff. But the battery the battery came out of his red dot and so you know he had no red dot. Now he had no backup iron sights for his red dot, so basically um, he would have been screwed. He would have been screwed if he had to keep shooting with no red dot sight and no backup iron sights. If you have a red dot sighted pistol, in my humble opinion, it's a must to have backup iron sights. Typically, people use suppressor height sights, um, tall enough to shoot a suppressor, and those co-witness very well with red dot sights. Some red dot sight sights have a rear sight built into them, and then you need to put a front sight, iron sight, but let me tell you, you got to have backup iron sights. You just do, because your your red dot on the handgun, no matter how reliable it is, it is a piece of electronic equipment, and it can and it will fail after a while. It just will. It can and it will fail. And you need to train yourself. If you have a red dot pistol, red dot semi-automatic pistol, I would suggest that you practice often with the red dot turned off, just using your backup iron sights. uh, Because you may find yourself in that position. So reliability. This shooter was very frustrated because his red dot malfunctioned and the gun kept malfunctioning. It was either an ammunition problem or it was a gun spring problem. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the spring weight, the recoil spring weight, which it basically dictates the force of the slide going back and forth on the gun, uh, that can make a huge difference. Most manufacturers put a recoil spring in the gun that is Going to be a hundred percent reliable with typical concealed carry ammo or typical range practice ammo. But if you're a reloader and you load your loads very light, in other words, you don't put much powder in them to, you know, t- to reduce in recoil and supposedly make you shoot faster and things like that. If you load the loads lighter, you're going to have to match that with a proper recoil spring. Weight Also slide weight. Semi-automatics are very dependent on slide weight and, and the ratio between the force that is created uh, to create the recoil from the ammunition versus the slide weight and the spring tension and, and all that has to be just right. Uh, again, if you leave your handgun stock and you shoot factory ammunition you're gonna be okay you're gonna have hundred percent reliability or pretty darn close to hundred percent reliability and if you're buying quality ammunition when you can get it I know it's difficult to get next to impossible and when you purchase it its so stinking expensive right now but when you have that combination doing things like changing out sights not gonna hurt the reliability especially iron sights. Now, I guess I should take that back in part. Fiber optic sights. Let me talk about fiber optic sights. I'm a big fan of fiber optic sights but most fiber optic sights have a little piece of red or green plastic a little red or green plastic tube in the front of the gun inside the sight and those things can pop out. How do I know? Uh, It's happened to me more than once. I'm shooting, and then all of a sudden, there's no more red fiber optic tube inside my sight. And the reason there's no more red fiber optic tube inside my sight because it popped out of there. Okay, that's what I don't like about fiber optic sights. I have Trigicon HDs on one of my Glock 19s. I'm going to be purchasing Trigicon HD. XRs most likely, the HDXR sights or something similar to that because they're all steel and they're great. They act like fiber optic sights even though they're not fiber optic. They're all steel. The chances of these sights breaking is very, very slim. I've seen front sights come off of pistols. Iron sights. So iron sights do fail, folks. They do fail. I don't like it when I read all this stuff. Well, I have an iron-sided handgun. And it'll never fail. You people with red dots, you're asking for failure, but my iron sights will never fail. That's not true. That's not true. I've had front sights fall off my gun. I've had rear sights drift on me. Sometimes they drift left, sometimes they drift right. So you always need to be checking your iron sights. Once I put these HD sights on here by by Trigicon, these things have not moved. They are rugged. They are durable. Yes, they're expensive than the average sight, but these things are just rugged, uh, durable, and they shoot well because the one I've got right now, the rear sight looks plain black, and I like that. Plain black rear sight. It does have two little tritium vials in it, but in the daylight, it looks like I'm shooting a plain black sight. And then I have a green fiber optic, or it's actually a yellow fiber optic front sight on mine, which I like it a lot. So, like I say, they act like fiber optic sights, but they're also good defensive sights, and they're ultra, ultra reliable. Uh, the last thing you want to have happen in a gunfight, folks, is, is clear malfunction, especially a nasty malfunction where you might have a double feed or something like that, or you might have a, a, a you know around that is a uh, stovepipe. Stovepipes are, are relatively easy to clear but it still costs you time. And it's something you really don't want to have to happen to you. But the worst thing is, uh, I mean, what if you're in a gunfight sight falls off? Now, I, I'm a big fan of point shooting. I'm a big fan of learning to instinctively make hits in close range without any sights and you can train yourself to do that. I've taken a class on that and i can i can teach people the basics of how to believe it or not make d- hits inside of 5 yards decent hits with without a complete sight picture so you, that was that's another suggestion i would i would urgently i would urgently <laughs> i made up a word urgently i would strongly urge you to learn how to do that how 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 can you make a hit without a complete sight picture maybe you don't have the chance to get the gun up to your line of sight You know, you can make a hit when the gun's not completely up to the line of sight. you just got to train yourself to do it. But ultra-reliable sights that don't break, that don't move, that don't fall off the gun, iron sights. Again, I'm going to say it again. If you have a red dot sight, get a good one. Get a real good one. Get the best red dot sight you can afford. Even the best red dot sight that you can afford likely will malfunction at some point the dot may turn off for some reason something might come off of the site something might come loose you need to maintain and you need to check red dot sites often and that that, that's what I'm gonna say about that and the class I took I, I took a red dot pistol school that John Payne from Suarez International taught and I think I took that it was three or four years ago oh man did I learn a ton a ton. Good job, John. If you're listening, good job on that class. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. You did a great job on that class. There's so much about owning and running a red dot on my handgun that I did not know until I took that class. But you have to be ready. You have to prepare, basically. That's why I say have backup iron sights. You're prepared. You're prepared for what happens if your red dot goes down. Modern survivalism, right? We're all modern survivalists. You need to be. In this world, you got to be a modern survivalist to, basically, to exist these days. Well, yeah, it's getting tough
1: out there. Yeah, no doubt. I work in home invasions, mostly. Uh, some murder, Uh, occasional rape Uh, and I'm a huge advocate of gun control absolutely Uh, competition is stiff and it it doesn't help that every time I kick in a door or smash a window that I face the possibility of being shot and killed listen the fact is allowing citizens to own guns creates a hostile work environment for me and my associates. Uh, no one should have to work under under those conditions. Uh, I say make them all illegal, absolutely. Make all gun ownership illegal. I mean, I break the law for a living. I'm a professional, so it doesn't really bother me. <clears throat> I mean, but personally, knowing that most homeowners don't have guns, uh, that would make me a lot more comfortable, uh, more confident, and it would surely increase productivity no doubt. no doubt your local violent criminals work hard and put their lives on the line every time they attempt to murder rape abduct or assault a member of the citizenry they desperately need your help With your support, there may finally come a day when a violent criminal can have his way with you or someone you love without the fear, anxiety, and stress caused by knowing there's a possibility his victim might be armed. Please show your support by voting for stronger anti-gun legislation, because criminals prefer unarmed citizens.
0: Okay, I had a brief pause there for a minute, but I was talking about being prepared. Malfunction training, that's being prepared. What happens if you have a malfunction? Can you clear it? Can you clear it quickly? And can you get back into the fight? And that's all. You can practice that dry fire practice. Get some snap caps, fake ammo, and double check and triple check. Make sure your gun is unloaded and go out in your garage or something like that. And always keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction so that if a bad accident happens, that no one's going to get hurt and practice your dry fire uh, malfunction drills. Create a malfunction in your handgun. Create a stovepipe. Create a double feed. Keep practicing those over and over again. Chances are you're not going to have to do it much as long as you have a good ultra reliable handgun. So, back to what I was saying earlier in this episode. A stock Glock, an M&P, an h k a Ruger, a SIG, stock, guns that are good quality guns out there, most likely you're not going to have malfunctions unless you've got a problem with ammunition. Or if you're tinkering tinkering with it too much. Tinkerers have normally more malfunctions because they're always messing with their gun. They're always buying fancy accessories and they're messing with it and they're changing this and changing that, upgrading this and upgrading that. Um yes, guns need to be upgraded. Um, you know, Glocks are not perfect. Haha. They have that marketing slogan perfection that everybody likes to you know hammer on and I think that's that's so stupid when people do that why are you modifying your Glock it's a perfect gun no it's not a perfect gun and just like any other handgun it needs to be modified to suit you I really for concealed carry I'm not a big fan of doing anything but changing out the sights getting something like a Vickers mag release button and a Vickers slide release button those are excellent modifications to do to your Glock, and then leave it alone. If you got a Smith & Wesson M&P, for example, what do you need to do to that? You don't need to do anything to it. It's a f- fine gun, especially the 2.0s. The 2.0s are fine. The trigger's good enough. You don't need to be messing with the trigger. Put some good sights on it. If you don't like the three-dot white sights that come with a Smith & Wesson M&P, and, and call it good. It's a fine handgun. Sigs. Sigs are fine. The, the 320s. And the 365s and the 365XLs. Those are excellent guns. What do you need to do to those? Nothing. Put some good sights on them and shoot, shoot, shoot. That's all you need to do. Don't compromise the reliability because you're going to go to a competition match with it and you're going to get very frustrated and mad because you had too many malfunctions. Or God forbid you end up in a self-defense situation and you fire two or three times, and maybe you need to keep on firing some more, and your gun jams. You don't want that either. The H and Ks are reliable. The Wolfers are reliable. The Rugers are reliable. the The Springfield's are reliable, well, yeah, for the most part. But most manufacturers really take good. Uh, measures when they manufacture a gun to make sure that they're reliable. What manufacturers don't want is thousands of people having to send their guns back because they don't work right. It, the gun manufacturer will have a bad reputation, lose sales, maybe even go out of business, or, or lose a lot of money because they're putting out unreliable guns. And, and then they're not going to get the sales because people are going to be uns, you know, unsatisfied with them. Those are the things that... Reliability is number one, folks. Reliability is number one. I firmly believe that. It's, it's the most important feature. It's the feature that stands out above all other features. It must be a number one on the top of your list. It's got to be reliable. In my humble opinion, there's just no excuse for, 100, for less than 100% or very close to 100% reliability. I'll talk about some guns I have that are not reliable. One of them is a 22-long rifle conversion on my It's made by Advantage Arms, and it's on one of my Glock 19s. It basically converts a Glock 19 to a, a 22 pistol. It's just not reliable, with only like one or two types of ammo, and that's it. Uh, I want it to be reliable with all. Ammunition. So, 22 semi-automatics um, can be finicky. When I had Glenn Tate on this program a few weeks back, he mentioned the M&P 22, uh, and a lot of people are having good luck with Glock 44s, and some say they're not. The M&P 22 I've heard good things about. 22 semi-automatics are just finicky. Nearly every one. When I go to a competition match and somebody shoot a 22 automatic, semi-automatic, I should say, I gotta quit saying automatic. They're not automatic. They're semi-automatic, okay? When they're shooting those, they tend to have reliability issues. The gun tends to choke a fair amount, and they're having malfunctions. And so they're defeating the purpose of of shooting a 22. Sometimes people like to shoot the 22s in competition or even in training class because they're easier to shoot. They have less recoil. You can shoot them fast. Well, you could be shooting that 22 real fast, and then you have a couple of bad malfunctions, and like I said... Well, there goes all the time that you saved being able to shoot fast. Let me say a little bit about magazines. Do clean your magazines and change out springs. Some people don't do that. I would say change out the springs, you know, maybe I would say change them out every year and a half, 2 years, whatever. It doesn't doesn't cost much to buy new springs. Rotate your magazines. If you've been shooting some magazines for quite a while, for several months, uh, maybe give those a rest and shoot some other magazines or buy some others for training purposes and practice purposes and, and things like that and, and rotate them. By rotating your magazines, it keeps them, it reduces the, the likelihood of malfunctions. Cleaning your gun. Everybody hates to clean their gun, right? Some people enjoy it. I know. Some people say they enjoy it. I I typically hate cleaning. But I do. Even Glocks, yes. Even M&P, yes. Not as often. And I'm going to say something right now about Smith & Wesson M&P. I have a 2.0 compact. I think I've had it about two years now. A couple thousand rounds through it. That thing has been amazingly reliable. One malfunction in two years, and I know it for sure was an ammunition problem. I know that for sure. It was an ammunition problem. I can't say enough about the reliability of Smith & Wesson M&P handguns. The first version and the second version, I have rarely, rarely ever seen those have bad malfunctions. I have 100% confidence if I have to defend myself with my M&P. Same goes for my SIG P365 and 365XL. Just absolute fine handguns. If you have those guns, don't modify them. There's nothing you have to do to those guns. You just don't. Out of the box, when you buy them, they're, they're excellent firearms. They have great sights. They have good triggers. They have good magazines. They're well built. The design is excellent on those SIG guns. Just leave them alone and shoot them and practice and improve yourself. And those are concealed carry guns. So you got to have good reliability in those. Smith & Wesson M&P Shields also. Excellent reliability. Glock 48s, 43Xs haven't had a malfunction with mine either they're just that's the most important and the guns are accurate enough so a lot of people like to so so called accurize their gun right they want to accurize their gun so they start making all these modifications to make the gun more accurate first of all people typically accurize their guns when they have not even shot much to see how accurate they can be with that handgun Many of them have not even given it a 1,000-round trigger job, and now they're accurizing it. It takes a while to get used to your handgun, especially if it's a new one, or especially if you're switching from one kind of a gun to another. It takes a while. takes a while. Shoot it for several months and, and many, many rounds to get used to it and find out how accurate it can be. And i tell you what. If you think you're not accurate, or if you think that your handgun is not accurate, and you think you have to modify it, to accurize it. First of all, before you spend one thin dollar accurizing that gun, have somebody else shoot it. Somebody else that you know is a good, accurate handgun shooter. Somebody that you trust, that you know, practices. And just ask him, can you do me a favor? Could you shoot my gun for me? And give them a couple of magazines of ammunition. See how accurate that person can be. If, if they are as inaccurate as you are, maybe it's the gun. Then try a third person. But if you can't shoot your handgun accurately, and you give it to somebody else, and they shoot it extremely accurately, that only tells you one thing, that it's not the gun. It is not the gun. I'm going to venture to say that 90% of the time, the problem is not the gun. Unless you have unnecessarily and overly modified it to the point where you've compromised the design that the manufacturer created in the first place to make it as reliable as absolute possible. Just a thought. Just some thoughts I wanted to share. I'd like to hear your opinions on this. Most of you know I have a voicemail inbox 210 646 or send me an email handgunworld at gmail.com put a message on Facebook uh, because I put a link on Facebook, Twitter, MeWe and Parlor for every episode that I do. I'm back on Parlor. you can find me at Handgun World you can find me at Handgun World on MeWe and at Facebook. Bob Main on Facebook as well. And I'd like to hear your comments and your thoughts. Another thing that seems to affect the reliability is when people, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier in the show, when they mess with the trigger too much. And especially the trigger springs, the mechanisms, the parts and the springs that run the fire control group or, or the springs inside your your pistol that, that run the trigger, basically. Messing around with that too much is also a problem so be careful when you do that well that's all I have to say about this week's topic I'd like to hear some more from you this is a listener supported show and I like to have a conversation with my listeners when I do this. So, if you email me, if you voicemail me, if you put message on social media, or if you send me an audio file or a video file or whatever, that's like us having a conversation. And the, good, the cool thing about it is all the listeners get to benefit from the conversation that you and I have. So, with all that said. Let me just conclude by saying, since this is a listener-supported show, I really need your help. Please become a member of The Shooter's Club. Ben Branham from the Modern Self-Protection and myself, we produce, The Shooter's Club, over 85 videos that are excellent instructional videos. For $8 a month or $75 a year, you can become a member of that. That helps to support this podcast. You can become a Patreon I have a Patreon page. You can find that when you go to my website, or go to patreon.com/handgunworld. You can shop on my Amazon store. Whenever you make Amazon purchases, you'll find that link at handgunworld.com. All the ways that you can support me really helps because I only have one sponsor, Concealment Solutions, and that's it. Uh, but I need more help than that, so I would very much appreciate it. And even if it's if it's something that you, it's not in your budget right now. At least write a review for me. Tell me how you like this show. Get on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if that's what you use. Put a review up there, a written review, or whatever podcast app that you use. Most of them allow reviews. And if they do, send me a comment. Or even if it's on Facebook, send me a comment. Okay, I very much appreciate that. With all this said, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast, a practical show done by a practical guy. Remember, shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Still wandering through the night Now it's ten years later But it still keeps up the fight In Ireland, in Lebanon Palestine and Berkeley.